0: Welcome to the SLP Happy Hour Podcast. I'm Sarah in SLP and today's topic is building families. The different ways this can look and the grief and loss people might experience throughout this process. I don't discuss this often on the podcast because to be completely honest, it's hard to talk about, but it's something that's been a big part of my life for a long time. And today I have two friends joining me, Crystal and Sarah, both SLPs, and we will discuss our personal stories of building families, what others have done to try to support us that has really made the loss worse, and how others can support loved ones through grief and loss related to family building. If you aren't going through this particular life circumstance, please keep listening. This is an honest, vulnerable, and helpful discussion where we talk about what our culture does wrong when it comes to grief, as well as how you can build your skills in supporting others and being a good listener through this. Going through this life circumstance is lonely, so let's try to make it a bit better and not worse for those acutely experiencing grief and loss. Let's get started with this discussion and some intros. Here's mine. My name is Sarah. I'm a private practice owner and an SLP. I've been trying to build my family through adoption for the last five years, and it's been full of hopes the dashing of those hopes, and lots of ambiguity, grief, and loss. I'm still in the process. I think a lot of people don't understand what the adoption process is like for both children and parents when it comes to adoption and how difficult it is to actually adopt child through this process. I've really felt lonely and isolated, especially in the parts that overlapped with COVID, which was a really lonely and hard time in my own life. So I am still trying to adopt a child, but I'm also starting to shift my own perspective to the fact that I may be childless and that's been a big shift for me. I've always wanted to be a parent. So first let's welcome Sarah. You may have heard from her in episode 151 about specializing in the deaf and hard of hearing populations in schools future sarah here somehow sarah's audio intro got lost to the audio editing gremlins so i'll go ahead and introduce sarah sarah serota is an slp who works in california full-time within the school system she also sees private practice clients and charter school clients And she is volunteering this year for her union in their negotiations. She's also partnered up with a teacher, so they are a very education-focused family. And you'll hear Sarah talk a bit in this episode about how she is child-free by choice, meaning that she decided in her early 20s she did not want to have children. So now, back to the original recording. And... Next up is Crystal. And so Crystal, like me, you're really in the process of building a family. So rather than having an identity as a childless person like Sarah, you're in that hopeful kind of phase of actively trying to build a family. And so thank you also to Crystal. She sent me a lot of DMs on Instagram about the Childless Collective, which has been a great account for me to follow, and they have a conference coming up, which I'm going to go to as I try to be more flexible about my own identity. So Crystal, what's your experience trying to build
1: a family? Tell me a bit about your career and where you are now. Sure. So I'm Crystal. I've been an SLP for about seven years now, and the last three of those years have been or actually four years have been in early childhood intervention here in El Paso, Texas. I had my first job at a pediatric outpatient clinic, which is where I met my husband, who's an occupational therapy assistant. The first time I laid eyes on my husband was when he had a little one, you know, on his shoulder. Just seeing him in in kind of that typical dad mode uh, that some women say makes their ovaries explode, so to say. That's what happened in the sensory gym. The ovaries, they were all over the place. They exploded when I saw my husband. He, we've been trying to conceive for the past four years unsuccessfully. I think we were in denial for a bit. We waited longer than the one-year recommendation mark where it suggested that you go work with a fertility specialist. We waited up until last year, and we've been working with a reproductive endocrinologist. We've done three fertility treatments, back-to-back back, which has been really hard for me as an SLP and for my husband as a CODA slash part-time college student slash part-time mariachi rock star. It's been challenging. And we are right now in that limbo stage, uh, waiting to consult with our doctor again to see what's next for us. Thank you, Christian. I just also want to speak to how
0: difficult it is to Be face to face with clients and kids where you have to kind of be in it and try to be positive and just feel so physically and emotionally drained and in pain let's start with the number one thing people tend to do when you share the vulnerability of how hard this process is. We have some different perspectives right here. So people have different ideas about how they handle this. But the most common thing that people tell me when I talk about trying to build a family is offering these trite euphemisms and cliches. So I've noticed this not only in my path to adoption, but I've had the death of a close family member. And these are things people have said when I've shared that vulnerability or that struggle I'm going through. So they've said things like, look at all the good things that are already happening in your life. This will happen for you. Like you will have children. You will have children. It will turn out okay, which of course they don't know. People have told me every cloud has a silver lining. Other people have told me, don't worry about children. Think of and be grateful for what you already have. Uh, When a family member passed away, people have said they're in a better place, they're happy now. And then there are some religious sayings that people use, like it will happen on God's timing or God has a reason. And I think that usually these phrases are meant well the person wants me to feel better but they're never helpful they always make me feel worse so i'm being vulnerable with them in a conversation i am sharing that i'm currently going through something really difficult and what those phrases feel like is it feels like they're sweeping my emotions under the rug they're offering toxic positivity and really the subtext there is that as the person That I'm listening to you talk about your grief. I am uncomfortable with what you're sharing and I want you to get over it and stop talking about it. What are your opinions on our experiences with these cliches that people tend to share?
2: I guess mine's a little bit different, right? So I don't know if I touched on the fact that I am child-free and it is by choice. I do not want children. I, from a pretty early age, knew that. I would say like 23, 24. Um, And my husband obviously feels the same way. I'm going to sort of frame my response to this question around advice that I get about that decision. So I get a lot of people telling me, oh, you'll change your mind. You're so young. Children are a blessing. Your life will be incomplete in some way without children. You know, my cultural and ethnic background is both Mexican and Jewish on each side. So those cultures have a lot of child-based feelings, I'll say. And so the, the sort of pressure that, you know, you feel as a young person to meet other people's expectations of what they want your life to be like oh what about like you'll never be grandparents or you'll never have this experience and just not trusting that I knew that that experience wasn't for me right like that I knew myself well enough to know that I would be content with my life, even if I didn't have this pivotal and important life experience to so many. And then a lot of times I get advice like, but you're so good with kids. I know I'm a pediatric speech-thewish pathologist. I hope I'm good with kids. I love kids. They bring so much light and joy to my life when they belong to other people. I have nine nieces and nephews so i have a lot of you know children in my life and i'm really content with that decision but i guess for me the the grieving is more about when you go against societal norms by choice the pushback that you get for making that choice and just to share like on a personal note Even if I changed my mind at this point because of some chronic health conditions, I could not conceive a child. So it really is a moot point for me. But going through like that loss process, I know a lot of people that go through the female organ based problems that I face feel that sense of grief and loss. And to be honest with you, I just don't because that decision had already been, like, well and made for me. But I do really empathize for people that are, are going through this struggle and come to the crossroads, you know, with surgical intervention that I had to. And the decision is so much more complicated for for them. And so my heart kind of goes out to them. In terms of, like, the grief, I, I honestly wish people would, like, kind of mind their own business about other people's childbearing choices that is such a personal decision for an individual or a couple or whatever the family situation looks like and i feel like everybody feels like they have an entitlement to some opinion and i'm not interested right <laughs> like i'm not interested in your opinion about my reproductive decisions i'm i'm just not and no thank you and no thank you
1: I've experienced a lot of those comments coming to me from people that are very close to me and even people that are not that close to me who feel like they have an opinion that needs to be shared. They can be hurtful at times. Sometimes they feel like just generic phrases that are being pulled out of the junk drawer. Societal scripts that we've all learned. This is something you say to someone who's experienced a death in their family. This is someone you say to someone who's been through some kind of trauma it just doesn't feel individualized sometimes or sensitive to the situation you're going through but ultimately to just get myself through that I try to remember that I want to say these people are well intentioned they're trying to help it's just not the most helpful but the intention is good people have good intentions,
0: it's really about them being uncomfortable with an uncomfortable and intense feeling. And I think those reactions are mostly about other people feeling dysregulated within themselves and not knowing how to handle grief. Because we are a culture that sweeps grief and loss under the rug and that people truly do not know what to do. They feel strong and comfortable feeling and they want to move on and that's pretty normal so if someone's listening and you've done that so have the three of us we've done that too so another common response to being vulnerable and sharing a grief or loss is that people will give advice so the challenge here is that whoever the advice giver is they probably haven't been through the Particular experiences that we've been through. So their advice is really based on false assumptions and not understanding the depth and the reality of our own situations. Can you tell me more about an instance in which you were dealing with grief or loss and you were offered advice and what was harmful or helpful about that?
2: While I haven't dealt with grief around the childbearing process, I have Certainly had my fair share of grief when it comes to losing close family members. I lost both my parents by the time I was 19. I agree with Crystal that people are really well-intentioned and they don't mean to come off in a way that is hurtful. But oftentimes, those platitudes really fall flat. I've also, and and I'd like to hear from the both of you on your child journey, find that when people find out that you're going through something like that, they start to ask like really personal questions. And especially if you don't have that close personal relationship, I kind of go like, well, now I feel uncomfortable because I have to set this boundary that I didn't really want to set in the first place and don't want to talk about. I've actually had several people tell me tell me that they thought that my parents died in an accident. That is not the case. They both passed several years apart from separate illnesses, but I think it's because I'm, you know, it's not like I'm talking about it that they've made these assumptions. So when I do get closer with somebody and share the the manner in which my parents passed, I've had several people say to me, like, oh, I thought they died in an accident. And I was like, well, I don't know why you would think that because there's no universe where I would say that. People uh, do mean well, but most of the time they miss the mark. And are going through a grieving process, what you really want to hear is that I'm here for you. You don't really want to hear, <laughs> like, it's for the best – Because you certainly don't feel that way right now. I have practiced with some of my friends who really intentionally kind of do some of this trauma work. And we just tell each other that we're going to hold space for that and hold space for them. And that's been really refreshing for me to have a way to show my empathy that isn't Encroaching on anybody else's personal experience of grief. I really appreciate that empathy from Sarah, who is child
1: free for someone like me in my situation, who is childless due to infertility. And I'm learning so much just chatting with you gals about how there's opinions for all sorts of people. <laughs> who followed all sorts of categories. But as far as the advice, I feel like it comes in different categories or different avenues. I have gotten comments, which I'm not sure if it's really advice or again, that awkwardness with talking about what can be like a heavy topic. I was at a work gathering once and someone in the circle talked about their infertility. It wasn't even about me. But someone else talked about their infertility, and another's response was, "Well, all you need to do is get a bottle of wine to fix that." And it stunned me so hard. Obviously, that applied to me. I'm sitting there also being in my own infertility journey, and that was what I felt really insensitive. As far as other people who want to help, my my circle is other... Really, other professional women were helpers. We want to help. And sometimes you get a lot of, oh, well, my friend did this. And my friend took these vitamins. And my friend thought his doctor. And while, again, it's well-meaning and well-intentioned, it, it really makes me feel like a failure because I already took that leap to work with a reproductive endocrinologist or a fertility specialist I'm under his care. I'm doing what my doctor's asking me to do with me. With all the different tips and advice that is thrown at me, I feel like, wow, I'm never gonna be doing it all. I'm never gonna be doing enough. No wonder I'm not getting pregnant. I'm not taking that weird vitamin (laughs) or that strange herbal tea that someone else told me to take. And honestly, there's just a point where I had to let go of that let go of that because it was not helping me at all. It was hurting me totally. I do get a lot of
0: invasive questions. About... So people have asked me about fertility treatments and there are a lot of reasons that that's not an option for me, but it's also none of their business. Also, when I talk about adoption, people will say, oh, why don't you just have your own children? And to me, that's very invasive and I won't respond. If it's said in a text, I'll ignore it. If it's in a conversation, I'll walk away. I'm wondering, Crystal, could you talk a little bit about any unwanted advice that you've experienced, how that feels to get that unwanted advice when you're going through grief and loss? I've experienced that as well, and it's so painful for someone to be like, why don't you just go to an acupuncturist or with my adoption, people be like, why don't you just try this country or that country adoption or try this way of, it's like they want to solve the problem
1: for you. Touching on the the previous question you asked me, like Sarah, uh, my heritage is also very much mexican american i lived in el paso where a lot of the kiddos i see live in el paso or they trickle in from Juarez, where they spend time in mexico with their families and it's very child driven in this culture and that's the first thing you're asked when you're gonna get married you know when are the kids coming in the kids haven't come after a few years and, well, where are they? When are they coming? When are they coming? Being that it's so pervasive in our culture, at least for me, I'm asked by people who I'm not very close to. Some of the the parents I work with, some of the teachers in daycare settings that I work with, it's it's bizarre. It's bizarre how sometimes I don't know if this is just maybe the norm in our culture, but there's a lot of knowing other people's business and what's going on with you and what's happening so i think i should work on a personal boundary statement so i have a way to answer that is respectful to myself and also not offensive i'm not looking to offend anyone but i do want to protect myself i'm the same way and people
0: have been pretty respectful but often the first question they ask is do you have any children and what's difficult about that for me is that i may have been matched with a child and i may be going through the process of adoption i may have just lost out on a child and something else may have happened in their life so i may not have you know it's like it's such a complicated answer that i i just say no but it really hurts me when it's one of the first questions people ask me what is your thought about people asking do you have children is one of the first questions they ask you i wish that they wouldn't because of the pain and loss and complexity there
1: yeah i agree with you a hundred percent nowadays there's just so many different situations that people might find themselves in i'm here to share my perspective as someone who is in their early 30s i'm 32 years old in a partnership i'm married to my husband and that's our situation but there's people who are single and childless there's people who are married and child-free or single and child-free. There's just so many different combinations of people and lifestyle preferences and circumstances. It's just really not fair to ask that. And I've also been asked, you know, as one of the first questions when someone gets to know me or meets me is, do you have children? And I'm still conflicted about what to say. Usually I say no. No. And what gets me is that the next question can often be in what I perceive to be kind of snarky or or snappy with it is why you don't want any. And even if I did it, it's not anyone else's business. I have no clue why people feel like they can ask about that. I don't get that. I live in a...
0: Fairly, like, liberal area, I would say. But people ask, do I have children? And when I say no, they just move on. Thankfully, there are no follow-up questions, but those follow-up questions are, I don't know. I want to, like, be aware and be like, that's inadmissible in court. Like, boom and boom my gavel. Like, that's that's not an okay question to ask. Sarah, what is your experience when one of the first questions people ask you is, do you have children?
2: I, I think there's kind of a difference between like when I'm asked in my professional life versus when I'm asked in my personal life. So I'll start with professional life because I think my feelings about that are a little bit more evolved, I'll say. Sometimes it does feel like people asking me that question might be looking to discredit what I have to say because I am giving advice about parenting through the lens of speech and language development, but I am not a parent. And so that's a that's a tough stack of cards to kind of go against. And I just kind of come by it humbly and I just said, look, I do not have children, but I have been doing this job a long time and I know what I'm talking about. You know, you can take or leave my advice at any time, but I would not let the fact that I'm child free be the deciding factor in whether or not you know you think my advice is relevant and then in my personal life like I said mind your beeswax I don't owe an explanation to the activities of my uterus to anyone it's really off-putting to me when that is one of the first questions that people ask and at this point my personality is pretty blunt like I'm a very direct communicator so I have pretty strong verbal boundaries with people. I try to do it in a way that is kind and respectful. And I've spent time thoughtfully crafting responses that conveyed what I wanted to say in a way that was going to indicate that I don't want to talk about this. I don't appreciate you asking me about it but I'm also trying to not be rude. Like Crystal said, I'm not trying to offend anyone culturally. There's a lot of stuff there that I don't really want to tangle with and I'd rather just end this conversation and set that boundary. So one of the things I'll say is, yep, I'm child-free by choice and have been for a long time. Thank you for listening to this episode and thank you to Crystal and Sarah for having this conversation with
0: me. We'll be back to the conversation in a moment, but first, are you an SLP who's starting a private practice or even thinking about it? Even if you're not sure if you wanna begin, if you'd like to talk to an SLP who has been there and hasn't established private practice, I am available for coaching sessions. We can talk out your clinic and discuss things like should you be a brick and mortar or travel to students' homes. We can talk about the pros and cons of insurance billing and more. You can ask me anything you'd like about private practice and we can talk through if private practice is right for you or if you've already got one how to problem solve something difficult. It's hard being a solopreneur, and sometimes having a discussion with someone who has experience is so helpful. I'm Sarah. I'm an SLP and clinic owner for about eight years now, and I can help. So go to slphappyhour.com forward slash coach to find out more. There's no expensive packages. You can just get get one one one-on-one session and with it gain some clarity. Remember, strong people ask for help. Now back to the show. I have had this imposter syndrome when i share things with parents and what i say is i'm an expert on language development and you're an expert on your child so you get to decide what to do with this information but this information is accurate and it's my job to give accurate information so there's two things that i'm hearing one is what do we do when we're coaching families when we're not also parents The second piece is people are assuming we're not as good as what we do because we're not parents.
1: Kind of that bias, I feel, that is against me personally, but I related to what you mentioned, being a professional who, as you mentioned, is giving strategies, recommendations about parenting through our particular lens as someone who doesn't have children, it totally exists. And it's it's a barrier that I feel that I have to kind of push through and work through, improve myself through. I had a friend, one of my best friends from grad school, she did her school rotation and her on-site supervisor told our clinical supervisor from, from the university that, yeah, you know, she's young, she's pretty green, you know, she doesn't have children. So, when she has kids, she'll get it. And this on-site supervisor really stuck her foot in it because our university supervisor also did not have children. And she was, you know, an older lady a seasoned SLP. But, oh my gosh, I'm so glad that that on-site supervisor said, whoa, you know, you cannot generalize and speak to that because that's really not fair. So, I think that bias exists.
0: Yeah, I want to add on to what you're saying, Crystal, because in my, I'm in my early 40s now. When I was in my 20s and early 30s, if I would go out for dinner and not order a drink, people would assume it was because I was pregnant. If I complained of a stomach ache or I would have uterine cramps, people would imagine that I was pregnant. And it was really painful for me because I was not able to become pregnant. And I wanted to say, I, I'll never be pregnant. I am not pregnant now, nor will I ever be able to be pregnant. And it was really painful. And now that I am older, people certainly ask less.
1: You know, before I used to work in a clinic setting, so the model was that the parents would wait in the lobby and I would work with the child and then debrief them afterwards. Uh, My world was turned upside down when I changed jobs and started working in early childhood intervention because it is All parent coaching, 100% parent coaching. When I first started my career, I was 24 years old, and I looked younger. I had less gray hairs on my head, and I would get asked a lot if I was a mother. And when I would say no from, from the parents, I feel like I would get a little, oh. But thankfully, we would build rapport, and they would learn to trust me. And that relationship would be built. As I'm aging, I feel that people kind of assume I'm a mother now because I'm quote-unquote old enough to be a mother. I look like I could be a mother. And I feel like I get asked less because of my age. But when I do get asked and I tell people that I don't have children, I feel like I have to again build that relationship like anyone would have to with their client and their family, but just with a little extra to prove myself that yes, I'm not a parent, but yes, I do know my job. Exactly what you said. And that phrasing I used a bunch of times. We use that in our ECI training in Texas is that, you know, we're the quote unquote expert in child development. We're gonna bring that to the table, but you know your child best. You're the expert on your child please bring that to the table and we'll meet each other halfway and kind of tailor our strategies and our plan according to that. So maybe ECI can be really hard for me sometimes, but in that aspect, I'm able to just say, hey, bring what you know about
2: your kid to the table. And that kind of takes the pressure off me a little bit. So I totally agree on the front side. And, you know, I brought that up that I get that question a lot. And I kind of want to be like, what does that matter? But you can't, you know, because we have to get the parents to buy in and we want their buy-in, and we want to build these relationships. So I get that you can't right off the bat be defensive, although I sometimes wish maybe that I could be. i I won't be. That's not really my personality. And like I said, I'm kind of an open book. but this side of it is hard. Being childless or child free is hard. and you face the bias from parents or people that think you may not know as much as you do because you have not had this life experience but in in sort of thinking about what my friends with who are parents tell me and and taking into consideration that our field is predominantly women right like whoa predominantly women like over 90 percent Thinking about the judgment that parents also face about every decision they make for their kid, specifically children who are not typically developing in some way, right? They have a speech or language delay. They have maybe some gross refined motor delays. They are autistic. They're neurodivergent in some other fashion. They have a developmental disability of some kind, a genetic component. All of the possible Things that could happen with a child that are outside of her control that parents still feel the societal blame for. They're doing all this like genomic sequencing to find the root cause of autism and is it genetic? And I think that that is something that's important to know, but knowledge is power in a lot of different ways because I think ultimately sometimes especially mothers will internalize that as like I carry this gene so I pass this on to my child or you know this is somehow my fault and so the parent takes on a lot of that that blame you know I I also feel for parents so one of the reasons that I'm I'm child free by choice is because I have the utmost respect for parents and I think it is the hardest job i could ever imagine doing and most parents when i say say that to them like agree in some way but don't in others and that's fine they're like well you know it just never ends i was at thanksgiving and i was i was talking to some acquaintances and i was like yeah being a parent is really tough and you know i value all the parents in society because it's hard like oof it's real tough and it's not something that i was cut out to do They're like, well, you know, it's, I love it. I love everything about being a parent, but it just is never ending. Parents' experiences run the gamut based on, you know, my experience with children and in this role and personally. We just can't win. (laughs) We're questioned as professionals if we have children. We're questioned as professionals if we don't have children. We're questioned as women in the same fashion sometimes it's just really tough to be a woman i feel like a lot of these questions feed into that piece and it really speaks to something crystal said earlier about all of the advice that she's given to conceive a child take this do that and, and i honestly i'm glad she brought it up because i realized i've been guilty of this and i want to take that step back and reflect on that and think about ways that I could show up for my loved ones that are going through this process without offering advice or maybe making sure that I ask them first if they want the advice as a way to sort of pave that road to communication. But just the amount of guilt and and blame and responsibility that... You might take on because you can't possibly follow all of the advice that you're given, and some of it, however valid it may be, doesn't fit into your treatment plan that with your doctor, or you're just at your bandwidth, or for whatever reason, you can't or don't want to go down that road. And I just feel like, wow, what an emotional journey to have to also like internalize that you're it's your fault that you can't get pregnant if that's something that you're wishing for
0: Sarah I think it's the you know damned if you do damned if you don't right if you have children but they're not quote-unquote well behaved if you are crystal if you're doing you know IUI or I. Yes, people are like, why don't you just adopt? And there's people who are just adopting like me and we're like, Hey, this is really complicated. And if I could tell people one thing as we wrap up, it would be think about the person going through the experience. So my adoption experience has been, I've wanted to adopt for 10 years. I've been actively trying to adopt for five years. I promise you, I know more information about adoption than you do (laughs) within the past, you know, 10 years of research. If you're just a friend or an acquaintance or a colleague and we're talking about it, there are people who have adopted like 10 years ago and the world is very different now. So just honor that person's knowledge and experience
1: by not giving advice. I think what I would like to add is that infertility It's hard for anybody experiencing it. It's universally difficult, but I think everyone on this walk has their own unique mini challenges to it. For me, a mini challenge has been being a pediatric SLP, expected to coach parents on how to raise their children when I'm not a mother myself. But there is something also beautiful that I've been able to gain from this and that I think sometimes I'm surprised that people ask me if I have children and why not. And the conversation keeps going and I come to find out that there are mothers who have been through their own infertility journeys and who never got to talk to someone about it and process that. And sometimes mothers are just dying to share their stories with me. And I'm really surprised to learn how many of my clients are IUI babies or IDF babies or rainbow babies or just babies that took a long time to come to this earth, even though their parents desired them for so long. And that's, that's what I want to take from this experience for myself is that there can be good for me. I know that's not everyone's case, but for me, I'm just trying to lean on that and grow from that. And I appreciate being able to see these parents through that and that I have someone who's able to see me as well.
0: And that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening and thank you to Crystal and Sarah for sharing their experiences. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it with a friend, especially one who may be supporting someone or maybe someone who is childless or child-free. And if you love the podcast, please take a moment to rate and review the SLP Happy Hour podcast wherever you're listening so that like-minded grad students, SLPs, and SLPAs can find us. I also send out a monthly or so newsletter that includes lesson plans, well, more like tips and ideas for your lessons. And you can sign up for that at slphappyhour.com forward slash newsletter. I hope you enjoyed this show as much as I did. And I am still thinking about this conversation and learning from it as I re-listen. Thank you for listening to this episode. And I hope it was a little slice of an SLP happy hour for you. Until next time.